This is Psalm 99. Beautiful psalm here. Part of a larger set of uh, uh, many set within the Psalms. Again, Psalm 99. Hear now the word of the Lord. The Lord reigns. Let the nations tremble. He sits enthroned between the cherubim. Let the earth shake. Great is the Lord in Zion. He is exalted over all the nations. Let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. The king is mighty. Excuse me. He loves justice. You have established equity. In Jacob, you have done what is just and right, or better, we could say, in Jacob, you have acted with justice and righteousness. Verse 5 Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. He is holy. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel was among those who called on his name. They called on the Lord, and he answered them. He spoke to them from the pillar of cloud. They kept his statutes and the decrees that he gave them. Lord Lord our God, you answered them. You were to Israel a forgiving God, though you punished their misdeeds. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. Again this morning, I'll try to keep my thoughts brief. I've been asked to talk about what it means to be an elder and a deacon as we think about possible nominations for those who would be leaders in the church. Before I want to do that, I want to take just a moment. I want to recognize the main, the central metaphors that the the Bible gives for the people of God. Let me say that again. I want to recognize and just discuss very briefly the central metaphors that the Bible gives for this, this thing right here, for the local church. And here are some metaphors. First, it gives the, the, the metaphor of a family, that we are a family, that we are all individual children of one heavenly father. We are a flock, individual sheep of one fold with one shepherd. We're a temple with different stones, individual stones that come together to, to make one building. We're a vine. Various branches all coming back to the main vine. And perhaps the Apostle Paul's favorite, we're a body. Each, having, each being members of a single purposed soul body. So we're a family, we're a flock, we're a temple, we're a vine, we're a body, there are others. And we get, we get from these, every single one of these metaphors is the notion of individuality, with collectivity or community. There's particularity, but overall unity. There's one family, one flock, one temple, one vine, one body. And the point is this, that we are all needed. Every single one of you. Sarah and I were having a conversation just yesterday. She was sharing, uh, she was sharing about just, you know, we shared last week that, that that she's expecting. And she said, you know, I'm kind of concerned about the baby because I want to be able to continue to serve in the church. But, you know, I'll be, I'll be having, I mean, I'm morning sickness and just, you know, there's all the challenges of, of, you know, of pregnancy and the delivery and all that. Just, I feel like I'll be, I'll be out for the count. I won't be able to serve and give. And I talked about, I just said, hey, you know what? God's going to use this little one. So, like, for example, we have a small group. And small group, you're not feeling well, guess what? Guess you got someone else in the small group. They're going to host. And they will stand. God will use this little one as a way of getting other people more involved in the body life of the church. So even before the child is outside of the womb, God is already using this little one in the body life of the church to help mobilize and equip and call his people to serve. 
Right? See how that works? So every single person is essential in the body of Christ. The eye cannot say to the ear, I do not need you. Right? The foot cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. We are all needed. And so many of you are doing just wonderful things here at Good Shepherd. Not even here in Good Shepherd. Outside of Good Shepherd, a lot of you are doing amazing things. If I remember right, Terry, when we're talking with Terry Fornier recently, he says, man, he's just talking about how he serves, Habitat for Humanity, all the, you know, regularly, weekly. Talking about some number of you, um, Southerners, you know, Jim Armbrecht, you're tutoring, right? You tutor at, 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 a, at a school with immigrant children. Think of the Amalongs. You know, most of you know this. The Amalongs just recently started a support group for family of persons struggling with drug addictions. A number of you, I think Bill and I think Rick and, and, and others, have, have, served, have served with Feed My People for a very, very long time, for years. A number of you support missionaries who, who have been or at one time were or never missionaries overseas or local ministries who support them financially. I don't think I actually appreciate how many of you are doing things out there. That's awesome. It's beautiful. So before we get to talk about leadership, I just wanted to mention just the ways that so many of you are involved in the life of the church, both inside the church and outside the church, and how essential you are. Do you know how communion got here this morning? This didn't, we just didn't show up. And suddenly, wow, look, the bread and the wine, the bread and the juice are there. No, someone's doing the sudden show up faithfully every, every one, once a month and, and, and preparing and doing that work. There's a worship team. Believe it or not, you can't just show up, grab a guitar, and start playing. You can't just show up with a mic, grab it, and start singing. There's a tremendous amount of prep work. Don, Walt, and Kathy, and Linda, and Jim, and Pam, and Lizzie, and Sarah, right? and more recently, Clara Wigman. There's lawn mowing teams and grounds. The Fournier clan is often out there. I walk out the door, and there they are preparing the grounds and keeping things up. There's a women's steering committee. There are Sunday school teachers, Jeff and Lori and Craig and Charity and others. There are prayer warriors who show up every Thursday morning. Last, this past Thursday, there were 10 of us. Well, including the little one inside said there were 11 of us. Praying, asking God to, to intercede, praying beautiful kingdom prayers. This past year, Martha Fournier served as our, our, as our church hostess, so often providing a beautiful spread again and again, just doing a marvelous job. Think of Nancy Neff leading Bible studies, women's Bible studies, coordinating small groups. Think of the small, group, uh, small groups themselves. Think of the Kimseys. Dave and Sarah just recently said, hey, we would love to open our home to, to, have, to host a new small group. Think of various other things that all of you are doing for one another. Think of how Patty Youngklaus, how she often goes over to Jack Graham's house and cleans his house for him. Those are beautiful, beautiful things that are going on but behind the scenes that often so many people don't know about. I could go on. In fact, even this coming Sunday, most of you know, noticed Natalie here with us this morning, Natalie Lacaria and her son, Demir. Um, they're going to be joining our church family. They're going to be. They're going to be. She'll be serving part time here at Good Shepherd. We're so excited to have Natalie on board. So excited. So just think of uh, the point being that it's it, churches aren't just about leaders. Oh my goodness, they're about the body of Christ, the sheep. They're about every single one of you, big and small, old and young. So this past summer, we did congregational visitations as a session, and it was so beautiful to hear your hearts, to hear your struggles. Again, it's just so beautiful. And this past Thursday at prayer, to hear Ron and Don, it's just examples, pray with heavy hearts for our city. All the violence going on, the loss of life, 
to hear their hearts, not just my heart, but their hearts, to hear your hearts longing for change. This is a beautiful thing. So all of those things that I've just mentioned, every single one of you, small groups, feeding my people, all these, those are all acts of giving. They're all acts of giving. And giving is essential. It's absolutely essential and fundamental. Everything, all of that is essential. But no less essential is not only giving, but guiding. Got that? You with me? That is essential to the body of Christ is not only that we're all giving, but that there is an act of guiding going on. Why is it that an airplane or a ship always has a captain? You just have a crew and then you kind of, oh, what do you want to do? Let's just, you know, right? There's actually someone in charge or some, some group of persons in charge. Why does, a, why does a restaurant kitchen have a head chef? There's even a saying about that, right? Too many chefs, Right? You have to have some sort of guiding. Someone or some group of persons has to be uh, in control. Why does a sports team have a a head coach or a a group of coaches who oversee? There's got to be someone in charge, so to speak. There's got to be some, not only giving, but guiding. Maybe some of you have served on a committee before, right? How many of you just love being on committees, right? Especially a committee when there's no chair, no real, no one's taking leadership, and you're just going on and on and on. Everyone's sharing their opinions, and you're like, "Will someone please make a decision?" Right? So, alongside giving, guiding is needed, and that idea, that idea has been a given for a very long time throughout the world world history. The notion that someone's got to be in charge is just sort of taken as a given, and that's actually changed more recently. In throughout what we call modernity. In, the, in, in late modernity, in the era that we live in in the West, the notion that someone needs to guide has actually been called into question. In fact, if you could capture the, the spirit of the modern mind, it's this very simple idea. I got this. I got this. Right? I don't need anyone to guide me. I got this. I can do this on my own. I got this. In fact, we're sort of like the modern self-guided missile. We're self-guided Right? We're self-guided. I got this. And it's so wonderful because we, and, and especially in our day and age, and this is the age of our, that our children are growing up in, it's an age where we can stand up and say, there's no one to tell me what to do. <laughs> Isn't that great? Or we can stand up and say, no one cares what I do. We can say, it's all up to me. Isn't that great? And it is at first. But you know what? Our young people today are struggling with an overwhelming and unprecedented amount of anxiety and depression. Do you know why? There are a number of reasons. One of the reasons, though, is that they start out by saying, you know what, there's no one to tell me what to do. And then they go start living life, and they realize that what? There's no one to tell them what to do. There's no one. They say, no one cares what I do. And then they realize, oh, no one cares what I do. They say, oh, it's all up to me. And they realize, oh, my goodness, it is all up to me. Are you with me? The sense of burden, the sense of loneliness, the key question that so many young persons face, I see in ministry, 
after spending three years of, of interacting with 20-somethings, I mean, college students and younger, that their question on their minds is this, how do I do that? How do I do this thing called life? I'll never forget, I was, I was at lunch with a bunch of, with, with a number of like four or five um, you know, men in their mid-20s, and one of them started sharing how he um, got to know this girl and, and was interested in this girl, and he said, so, uh, so, Bruce, what do I do? I said, well, what do you mean what do I do? Well, well how, do I, how do I get to know her? Right? I mean, a really honest question. I had no idea how to date someone. I had no idea how to approach. I had no idea how to begin to build a relationship with a young lady. Very fair question, legitimate question. So I started talking about sharing some things, and I noticed another young man right next to him. He's got his phone kind of below the table, and he's doing this right here. <laughs> I'm like, and I said, Steve, what are you doing over there? He said, oh, I'm taking notes. <laughs> right? And, and it's funny, it's kind of humorous, but it's true. Like people, when, when, when suddenly the whole goal of Western culture is, is about personal preference, and everyone is bowing down before the God of personal preference, after a while you're like, I don't know what I prefer. I don't know what to do. And everyone's so fearful of missing out. I want to do it all. I want to get it. I don't know. The FOMO, right? It's all about the fear of missing out. And the question is, like, how do I do this thing called life? How do I do this thing called relationships? How do I do this thing called school? How do I do any of this stuff? See, some of you, we grew up in the, say we grew up in the 50s, uh, 60s, 70s, and 80s. We were living sort of this tipping point. And, and as kids, when we grew up this time, it was, it was about disobeying, it was about defying, it was about rebelling, right? Being the rebel without a cause. It was all about defying constraint. Huh? But see, that's different. If you grew up in the, 90, the 90s, the 2000s, and today, kids are not about rebelling. They're just not. There's no, there's no need to rebel. There's nothing to rebel against. They're all being told, do whatever you want. And they're like, do whatever I want. And so it's not about, they're not being disobedient. They're just actually incredibly disoriented. Incredibly disoriented. And that's not, that's not a critique. I'm not judging them and saying, what do I do? Where do I go? See, before it was about defying constraint. Now it's about defying chaos. Life is so confusing. And the key feeling today for so many people is this. They're just overwhelmed. Just overwhelmed. They're overwhelmed by choice. I mean, it's like, it's just epitomizing Google search. Google search? There's like 9 million responses. I mean, 9 million, isn't that great? 9 million, are you kidding me? Where, where are you supposed to begin? And of course, you know how they're prioritized, right? It wasn't just random search things. Search, some of it, yeah, is sort of popular. A lot of it, though, it's manipulated. So there are people paying to make sure their answer comes first. Right? There's, there's a lot going on there that's just... So in some ways, life is like... Maybe some of you have... You've seen the Jungle Book. You grew up watching the Jungle Book. It's the most recent... Um, the recent version that Disney's made the Jungle Book. The world is a beautiful place. Jungles are beautiful. Just think about jungles, how beautiful, just mysterious, amazing they are. But jungles are not only beautiful, they're brutal. They're not only delightful, they're dangerous. They're full of color, but they're chaotic, and they're confusing, just crazy. And you wonder, you wonder, in a jungle, is anyone in control? And that's what Psalm 89 is all about. See, Psalm 99 gives an answer. We're all of us are looking at the world around us, and it's just chaotic, and it's confusing. We look on the news, and isn't it discouraging? God, the violence in St. Louis right now. 
Isn't it discouraging just the, 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 just the chaos we see around us? And it is. Our lives are so crazy. And the thing is, this is what's so important here. This, when, when life is con- con- chaotic, when it's confusing, when things just seem crazy, guess what? People stop caring. They stop caring. I don't know. This doesn't make any sense. It's all big disaster. Just, just stop caring. Or they only care for themselves, and they live lives of convenience instead of conviction. And again, we're forced to ask, is anyone really in control? Does this ship have a captain? Is there a chef in the kitchen? Is anyone driving the bus? Because I'm overwhelmed. I'm anxious. I'm despairing. Is there a coach calling the plays? And Psalm 99 answers, yes. There is one who reigns. In the midst of all the chaos and confusion, there is one who reigns. Look in the first few verses with me. First, these first three verses capture the idea that the Lord is in this. The Lord rules in greatness. He rules in greatness and without equal. Verse 1, the Lord reigns, let the nations tremble. He sits in the throne between the cherubim, let the earth shake. Great is the Lord in Zion, he is, exo- he is exalted over all the nations. Let them praise your great and awesome name, he is holy. Very simple, beautiful idea here. We see very, is that, 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 the psalmist is just saying that God does reign. He reigns in greatness. He is holy. That means he rules without equal, without, without anyone being able to matchlessly, you might say, incomparably. See, from the time frame of the Psalms, these are really big words. But from the perspective of 2019, think about this. Christianity is the largest religion in the world. That Yahweh, Israel's God, is still being praised, not just still, but he is most praised, most exalted. He has the most influence, and Jesus Christ is the most influential person in human history. And that's not going away. As we look at China, for example, and China probably going Christian in the next 30 to 40 years. As we see the impact in Africa over the last century, we see Christianity continuing to spread and become more diverse as all the peoples are seeing the reign of Israel's God in the person of Jesus Christ. And see, this is what I want you to hear. Jesus Christ himself was absolutely persuaded that his father was in charge. Absolutely persuaded. Throughout his his arrest, his trial, his execution, there is in Jesus this quiet courage this james bond like confidence right that from Pilate to the priest to the people everyone's being played everyone's just a pawn within a deeper plot that the father knows what he's doing that in the midst of the chaos and the confusion of all that was going on that night, God was getting his way. That's that's where Jesus lands, convinced that God reigns, that he rules in greatness. What about you? Are you convinced of God's reign? Are you convinced that God rules over all, that in the midst of the chaos and confusion, he's actually working his purposes out? 
see, you look in these first three verses and we see how God's reign is going out from God's people. It begins in Zion. It begins in Jerusalem. God's people are ground zero because God's people are those who say, yes, please take over. Take over my life. Take over my relationships. Take over my marriage. Take over my, my parenting. Take over. I do not want to be in control anymore. All I do is sabotage things. Take over my money. Take over my sex life. Take over my body. Please take over. And so this, 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 this first three verses, basically the psalmist is saying, yes, God reigns. He rules in greatness. And all the nations need to just, you might as well just give up. You better start revering. You better start trembling because he's going to win no matter what. But why is it that, that, that the nation should give up? Why is it that they should surrender? Why is it that the people of God are so excited? Why is it that they want God to reign? Are you ready? It's because of the next three verses. Because God's reign is a reign of goodness. Not only does he rule in, in greatness, he rules in and for goodness. Look at these, these beautiful verses. I love this. In verse, verse 4, it says, The king is mighty. He loves justice. And justice here isn't just some sort of retributive, he likes to punish people. That's not what he's, it's not, that's not primarily what it's about. Justice here is the notion of, of all of that which brings life and peace and flourishing. He loves to do what is just. It's like having a great boss who makes good decisions that make the company flourish. He loves justice. And he said, the psalmist says, you have established equity in Jacob. You have done, you have acted in righteousness and just, justice and righteousness. Those, that, 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 that terminology of just and right or justice and righteousness is language of, of social justice, is language of a God who cares intimately and deeply for the widow, for the orphan, for the foreigner. See, here in verses 4 and 5, we have this picture of a God who loves justice and who uses his power for peace. He uses his might for mercy. Do you see that? Isn't that beautiful? That you can go, I can, I can show you no less than, uh, I can show you no less than eight verses in the Pentateuch alone that's that, that command Israel to care for the foreigner, for the outsider. Isn't that beautiful? His reign is a reign for the little guy, for the little girl. It's a reign for the underdog. He reigns in greatness, but his reign is for goodness. Why do God's people want him to, to take over? Why should the nations uh, bow their knee? Because his reign is a reign of goodness. Beautiful. Again, it's a reign of, uh, that's going out from God's people as God's people align themselves, as they, show, as they themselves show love for their neighbor, as they themselves show love for, for the outsider, for the underdog. It's coming, uh, it's coming fall, like starting next Sunday. We'll be starting a Sunday school class. And that Sunday school class is called how, how Can I Love My Neighbor? Or How Do You Love Your Neighbor? And it's, 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 I think Ron's got it up here. How do I love my neighbor? Okay, it's just starting next week. And this is, this, is, this is basically something from the officers of the church. This past summer, we've been reading a book called Practicing the King's Economy, a beautiful book about exactly this. How do I love my neighbor? And if you are on board with this, is every single week as we've done the summary of the law, it says love God and love your neighbor. If this is what you are about, please show up. Next Sunday for adult Sunday school. 
It's not going to be just theory. It's not going to be just exegesis. It's not going to be just theology. We're going to have a practical way. We're going to explore ways in which, written by two guys, uh, one, a pastor friend of mine in Chattanooga, another one who um, serves in South Memphis. Both of them serve in contexts that are under-resourced, that are just coming apart at the seams, and they share very practically Ways that they are helping people get jobs, ways that they're helping persons start small companies, ways that they're reaching out and, and, and helping people with find, um, find um, a housing and, and residence. It's just, there's very practical, very beautiful things. And the authors of the church have been reading this throughout the summer. We're actually meeting and talking about it this coming Saturday. And they, your officers, will be teaching, um, um, taking turns this fall. Uh, the Sunday school class. So I'd love for you to come, but see again that God, very clear in this psalm, he's, he reigns in greatness and he reigns, he rules in goodness. But, but how does he do that? How does it actually come home to us? And this is what I want to talk about just for a few minutes here. He rules in greatness, he rules for goodness, and then finally he rules through guides. Look at the last part of the psalm here. He rules through guides. Verse, beginning in verse 8, Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel was among those who called on his name. They called on the Lord, and he answered them. He spoke to them from the pillar of cloud. They kept his statutes and decrees that he gave them. Lord our God, you answered them. You were to Israel a forgiving God, but you punished their misdeeds. See, listen. In a world of great chaos and confusion, where God reigns overall in greatness and in goodness, he gives us guides. Here it speaks of Moses and Aaron, who were among his priests, and Samuel. And it speaks very simply of what they did. These are guides who do the following, okay? They are simply, they are called priests. That is to say, they are go-betweens. A priest is someone who simply goes between, someone who intercedes, someone who gets help from God for someone else. What does it mean to be an officer of the church? It means that you are to be a priest, to be a go-between, to be an intercessor, to call upon the Lord. That's something your, your elders are committed to doing. Every Saturday morning, we gather to pray. We pray for, for so many of you, but often you'll get texts from me saying, hey, I prayed for you guys this morning. We pray, we're go-betweens, we intercede. Not because we're any better. In fact, if you look at the lives of Moses you, or, or, or Aaron or Sam, uh, Samuel, you know that these were broken men. These were men, I mean, Moses was a murderer, right? He was a minority a young man full of anger and hate, and God took him, right? And just changed him, enabled him to be a deliverer of God's people, to be a go-between. So as we, look for, as we look for elders and deacons, we're not looking for perfect men. We're looking for men who are priests, who've been humbled by God, go-betweens. But not only those who, are go -be who go between God and the people, but those who go ahead of the people. Do you see that there? They're, they're examples their examples, this is that, this is they, that God, give, God gave them their, their various decrees, and it says they, they kept his statutes and the decrees that he gave them, verse 7. So not only are these go-betweens, but those who go ahead and are examples of the people. It's one of those powerful things. They go ahead. Next, not only are they go-betweens, not only do they go ahead, but they actually get answers. They get instruction from God. So twice it says in the psalm that God answered them. They called to God, and God answered them. To be an elder, to be a deacon, you have to be someone who actually is seeking God's counsel in your life. 
You're calling out to God, asking, saying, God, I want you to lead my life. I don't know what I'm doing. So you're competent as a guide only if you yourself are being guided by the Lord. And then finally, God rules through guides who are go-betweens, who go ahead of the people's examples, who get instruction and answers and instruction, and finally, who get grace, a grace that welcomes and warns. Do you see this at the very end here? Through, listen to this, through God's guides, he offers forgiveness, but also correction. Verse 8, Lord our God, you answered them. You were to Israel a forgiving God, though you punished their misdeeds. See, to be, to be, a, pre, to be a, a guide of God's people, you have to offer both welcome to offer the grace of God that welcomes, but also the grace of God that warns, that challenges, that instructs, that says, whoa, whoa, I love you too much for you to go down that path. I mean, Don kind of jokingly did, but John and I had some hard conversations. I mean, and, and Don's credit, I mean, he, he, was, he was all on board. Often, often, often congregants are not, and that's okay. It's okay. But my job, our job as officers, as leaders, especially as elders, is to say, whoa, whoa, time out. This is not okay. This is not, you think this is what you want, but it's not. And this will only lead to, to, to discouragement, to despair. It will lead to destruction. So in our world today, let me close with this. In our world today of chaos and confusion, craziness. Is there someone in control? Is he reigning in greatness without, without, beyond compare? Will he get his way? And is his reign good? Is it really good? Is it about justice and righteousness? Is it, is it a power that is for peace? Is it a might that is for mercy? And how do we align ourselves? We do so by, by receiving guides that he has given us. He rules through guides, those who are go-betweens, those who go ahead as examples, those who get answers and instruction, who themselves are being guided, and those who understand God's grace, not only a welcoming grace, but a warning grace, who have the courage, the love to say, look, whoa, watch out, to champion you, but also to challenge you. Why? So that God may be glorified that he may be worshipped by all. Look at the very final verse, verse 9. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. Let me close with this. Do you know what Christianity was called? The very first name by which the early Christians were known. They were called the way. The way. If you've read the book of Acts, you know they were called the way. See, Christianity provides the way. We are here to guide you. And as you think about who might, and listen, I tell you right now, the greatest need at Good Shepherd, the greatest need at Good Shepherd is leadership. Leadership development, not just officers, small group leaders, just people who will stand up and say, look, I want to be an influencer, not for glory, not for whatever, but simply because they believe that God is reigning. And his reign is great, and his reign is good. And they want to get on board. They want, they want to be part of that reign of goodness, that reign of, of mercy, that reign of justice, that reign of peace. 
And so will you do that next couple of weeks? Will you pray for God's people? Will you pray asking God, say, who, who, who do I know who would make a good deacon? Who would I know that would make a good elder? Who would I know that would make a great small group leader? Who would I know that would just, that I just think that they're gifts, they have great gifts, and, and they're not being utilized in the way that we could. Please be in prayer for that. Because Christianity really is the way. And it's the way because there is one who is the way, the truth, and the life. One who, one who laid down his life for us, who made the way to the Father, and that's exactly what this table is all about. It is the Lord's table. It is a beautiful, it is a beautiful picture of the gospel of grace. I know it's been a long, it's been a little bit of a long service here. I'll try, we'll try to, we'll try to I'll go through this. But let me, let me pray for us, and we will partake of this beautiful, uh, this beautiful act of communion. Heavenly Father, we, um, we know that you have made us for yourself. We know that you have given us your son. We know that he, in his perfect obedience, laid down his life for us. That he was so mighty, so powerful, that he could be rejected, that he could be hated, that he could be alone, that he could be utterly abandoned in the name of love for us. Father, it's his death that we now proclaim. It's his reconciling, conquering, victorious death that we now proclaim. We pray in his name. Amen.